0: You are listening to E.E. E. Times On Air, and this is E.E. E. Times Current. I'm Eric Singer. Today's episode highlights an E.E. E. Times special report. In this podcast, E.E. E. Times Editor-in-Chief Brett Brune talks to Barb Jorgensen, Editor-in-Chief of EPSNews.com, about the factory of the future.
1: Hello, I'm Brett Brune, Editor-in-Chief of EETimes.com. Joining me today is Barb Jorgensen, Editor-in-Chief of EPSNews.com. Welcome to the show, Barb. Thanks for having me, Brett. So the report is all about getting Industry 4.0 right. In August and September, we'll be publishing this special report whose formal title is Enabling the Factory of 2030. Brett, would you please first explain why we chose to focus on this topic for our special report this year?
2: Sure. Although the concept for autonomous factories, which are a big part of Industry 4.0, isn't new, the events such as the COVID pandemic and the labor shortage have spurred corporations to prioritize the digitization of their manufacturing operations and supply chain. Digitization, of course, is the enabler for the communication, data collection, and analysis that's critical to automation. That includes data sharing within the four walls of a factory and with external partners. Data analysis is critical to Industry 4.0. Companies are also turning to robotics and automation as an alternative to human workers. A lack of skilled labor remains a huge problem for the electronics industry and other manufacturers. So data analytics enables these machines to spot and fix production problems in real time, signal when maintenance is necessary, and even recommend corrective action. So there has been advancement in the past year or so in terms of enabling the digital infrastructure, which allows all of these things to happen.
1: Excellent. We need those advances every year. Let's now focus on a very interesting aspect of the report, using Industry 4.0 or a smart manufacturing computing tool to take manufacturing data and turn it into gold that holds the promise of undreamed of profits and productivity. This article is titled Brokers, Protocols, and Platforms Move Manufacturing Data. Can you outline some of the tools that we write about in this piece, Barb?
2: Sure. Among those tools are data transport protocols like OPC UA, MT Connect, and MQTT that can move information from machines connected to the industrial Internet of Things to the edge, an enterprise server, and to the cloud.
1: And what is MQTT protocol?
2: It's packaged in software from data technology companies like Faircom and Hive MQ, uh, which are providers of MQTT brokers. Faircom also aff- offers Faircom Edge, which is a client-based messaging platform.:
1: And what does MQTT accomplish?
2: What makes MQTT so cool for manufacturing is its ability to work in situations with intermittent connectivity and limited bandwidth via its ability to communicate asynchronously. One of the sources, we quote, is Ravi Subramanian, who is Hive, MQ's director of industry solutions for manufacturing. He explains that a remote device on an oil pipeline, for example, will push data based on the bandwidth that's available in that area in short bursts. That's more efficient than direct communications or data collection mechanisms that are intermittent because connections are spotty.
1: Barb, where did MQTT originate?
2: It was developed for monitoring devices in the oil and gas industry, but its use in manufacturing where connectivity is so intermittent and transmitting data is secondary at best, came later. Supermanion told us that on the manufacturing floor, the core connectivity is used for operations that are performed for producing goods and not for communications.
1: Okay. And we know manufacturing operations need data in as real time as possible, at least for minute-by-minute minute operations to, for example, avoid sending a bad part to the shipping department. So HiveMQ and Faircom focus on the edge, correct?
2: Right. Computing on the edge helps manufacturers react quickly to keep production humming. People prefer edge computing because a lot of the data processing needs to happen quickly, and then an the outcome needs to be dealt with. Basically, Get close to where the action is happening, where you can do some small-time analytics, Supermanian told us. Uh, And once the data is sent to the cloud or the enterprise, where there's more storage space than on the edge, the lag time in accessing it is more conducive to advanced analytics, such as predictive maintenance, he also told us.
1: And in addition to being very near real-time, edge computing is also cheaper than cloud storage, right?
2: Right. Faircom Edge is an all-in-one platform for IIoT data management that works on the edge, as its name implies. Uh, Faircom Edge was built to operate on lightweight Edge gateways. With its focus on speed and convenience, Faircom Edge allows users to seamlessly integrate many IIoT protocols and standardized factory protocols and the data format. The company's created a transformation engine that transforms data from one protocol to another and even enrich that data. Factories gain reliable data transfer from devices, improved operability, and the ability to perform data analytics. The solution was designed with the mindset that 80% of what you need to do on edge computing or what edge computing can help you do has to do with the data. That's uh, Evaldo D. Oliveira, the VP of Business Development at Faircom, told us.
1: Roger that. And let's move on to an article about manufacturing in the metaverse. Do you think our listeners have their seatbelts on, Barb? I'm sure they do. Okay. So, one of our reporters was a fly on the wall at NVIDIA's GTC conference this spring. She heard experts on a panel express surprise that industrial and manufacturing sectors are first to embrace metaverse technology.
2: That's right. One of the panelists, Rev Labradian, VP for Simulation Technology and Omniverse Engineering at NVIDIA, noted an expectation that because it's a general platform, the company thought that media and entertainment would be the first to adopt, and after that, architecture, engineering, and construction.
1: He saw industrial manufacturing crossing the finish line last.
2: Yeah, um, but he said the adoption pattern has almost been inverted. There's a lot of practical applications for the metaverse in manufacturing, that is running what-if scenarios to measure product performance or digital twins that also run simulations and provide analytics. The companies that are most excited are companies like BMW, who is one of NVIDIA's most important partners.
1: And what does Liberadian tell us about urgency?
2: Well, he said that many manufacturers feel simulation and digital twin adoption is existential. Simulation scenarios can prevent less than optimal designs from reaching prototyping and and even into production. Uh, And simulations provide data on everything from a product's footprint to the positioning of the circuitry. Getting this right in the metaverse accelerates the process between product design and production.
1: We should give a shout out here to the panel's moderator, Dean Takahashi at VentureBeat, who gave examples of how the industrial and manufacturing sectors have embraced the latest technologies in this area. Who else was on the panel?
2: Michelle Melchiori from the BMW Group was also there. He said that before adopting digital twins and metaverse technology, production systems and factories were not connected. 3D models of buildings, layout, and products were entirely separate.
1: Hmm, that's a bit surprising. BMWs have a reputation for being pretty high-tech.
2: Yeah, Mercury spoke about making use of a virtual factory and digital twins to bring all of these things together. Uh, BMW's been working with NVIDIA since 2021 and began global rollout of NVIDIA's Omniverse platform for industrial metaverse, this spring. The automotive OEM is going digital first, optimizing layouts, robotics, and logistics systems before implementing them in the real world, in some cases, years in advance.
1: And what are the plans for using Metaverse tech?
2: BMW uses Metaverse tech for planning, setup, and running factories. The digital twins are so good that they allow Gemba walks, which is a Japanese management technique. Uh, those walkload executives leave their daily routine to see where the actual work happens and build closer relationships with workers
1: And what about connecting globally without in-person travel? This is a huge benefit.:
2: Yes, BMW uses Metaverse Tech for collaboration on factory planning between teams in Europe, the US, and China. Melchiori said that BMW tries to mimic online games. He said. If I'm sitting together with my engineers, they really have fun on planning these tasks because they sit together virtually.
1: Great for the gamers out there. And what about the new BMW factory in Hungary?
2: It's the first to get a full digital twin with production scheduled to start at the site in the next two years.
1: With a digital twin, I know that the work is never actually done. This is kind of the point. Did we address that?
2: Yeah, Melchiori said with things like assembly lines, it doesn't matter how good it is, we will always improve it. It doesn't mean that we're not happy with the result, but we always have to move forward.
1: What other companies are included in this report, Barb?
2: We interviewed Lori Hufford, VP of Engineering Collaboration at Bentley Systems. She said the metaverse has already demonstrated benefits to people, the planet, and business. Bentley Systems is an infrastructure engineering software company providing its iTwin, open digital twin platform for infrastructure, among other products.
1: And for this topic, we must have included Siemens, right?
2: Absolutely. We interviewed Tony Hemelgarn, who is the CEO of Siemens Digital Industries. He said digital twins have come a long way since they started as basic models to see how physical parts fit together. And that's evolved to cover functional characteristics of software and electronics.
1: Siemens Digital Industries, I know, has been working for years on the closed-loop digital twin. What's new here?
2: Helmogarn said the metaverse is bringing new requirements on top of existing physics-based engineering tools, factors such as business systems, ERP, costing, and sustainability.
1: Okay, Barb. Let's preview another fascinating piece in this special report. It's titled, Seven Axis Bots Lend Dexterity and Light Touch to E-Production. When I assigned this piece out, I suggested an interview with Infineon Technologies, which I first wrote about in 2019 in Germany. What's going on there now?
2: Well, when Infineon needed to automate its Class 1 clean room in Austria, The wafer maker turned to a seven-axis robotic arm that was initially developed to work around astronauts in space.
1: Cool stuff. I'm sure it was a collaborative robot. Which cobot did Infineon in Österreich go with? It was,
2: and the cobot is from KUKA. And the seventh axis on the cobot, which is called LBR-IWA, makes it possible to move the robotic arm out of the way for any position of the end of the arm tool. Sidelining that arm is important because it eliminates the risk of any of the cobots' axes from reaching their mechanical limit in a motion path or singularly and locking up. Uh, Carlos O'Farrell, an executive at the robotics company told us that.
1: So how many of these bots is Infineon using at the fab? And for what purposes?
2: It's using 17 of them and to um, transfer containers with cassette filled with wafers through the more than 1,000 steps used in production. Um, Those include deposition, implantation, etching, and measuring. The seventh access at the cobot's arm elbow enables complex trajectories as well as the use of robots in confined, narrow spaces like factories or fabs.
1: Hmm, Okay. And who else did we speak with to report this piece barb?
2: Well you've heard of, you've heard of Universal Robot. Um, but how about Casal?
1: As in Christian Casal, one of the three guys who established Universal Robots a couple of decades ago?
2: Yeah, that's him. That was 18 years ago. All of Casal's five robot models are seven axes.
1: What's an example application?
2: Well, one example is Caso's cobots are working in CPU assembling. Um, its customer is a low-volume, high-mix producer with production runs in the 100. That's a situation that's ideal for a cobot's flexibility. In this facility, the Caso robot transfers circuit boards from, a produ- from production to quality control, and then from the quality control check station to a conveyor
1: just where uber-flexibility is needed, in places where there's no space. There's a lot more to discover in this and the other articles included in our special report, Enabling the Factory of 2030. The report's available starting August 1st on eetimes.com. Barb, many thanks for your work on the report and for your time today. You are most welcome, Brett. Thanks.
0: That brings another episode of EE e. Times Current to its end. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our guest, Barb Jorgensen, from EPSNews.com. EE e. Times Current is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you reach us at our website at eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript of this episode, along with direct links to the stories that Brett and Barb mentioned during the interview, along with other resources. EE Times Current is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Stephanie Munoz. I'm Eric Singer. Thanks for listening.